friends. Welcome to your Monday edition of the Kings of Anglia podcast. And welcome, friends, to a bit of a strange feeling. Ipswich Town have lost two games in a row. That doesn't happen. In fact, the last time it happened was October 2022, when they lost to Lincoln and then they lost at Cambridge United in the in the Pizza Trophy, which is when Kyle Edwards got sent off early doors. Absolute disgrace. It's not happened since then, and it's happened now. Mark Heath, Stuart Watson, Alex Jones here to break that down for you. I hope you had a good weekend, first of all. I'm going to start with you, Stewie. Good to see you, my friend. How's things? Um, Things are good, thank you. Yeah, not too bad. Excellent. The voice of an angel, Alid Jones. AJ, how are you? Mm-hmm. I'm good. Yeah, I've just realised I'm drinking out of a Christmas glass, but other than that, all good. We do, keep an eye out, friends. We've just uh, established that Alex has a nose whistle, which is part yeah. of his general tuneful persona. Um, so you may hear it cropping up. He's also got a new mic, which is probably going to be more sensitive to said nose whistle. Rossi, friends, he's, he's cried off today. He said he's worried about brand halls. He's becoming ubiquitous. He's everywhere. He's on everything. And he said to me, look, I don't want to be Vernon Kay. I don't want to be Claire Balding. I don't want to be someone who's there all the time. I need to protect the brand. I don't want to be omnipresent. And I said, Ross, it's the right cause, the right thing to do. So he sat out today. Anyway, friends, let's dive straight in, shall we? I said on last Thursday's show, KOA is a pod for the people. And as part of that, our remit is to tackle the questions that others won't, friends. And we've got to kick off with a very serious question to begin with, boys. We're very interested on your take on this. And that's this. Has Wes Burns destroyed Ipswich Town's season by cutting his hair? If you look at the facts, friends, Wes Burns, when when he had long hair, Ipswich Town's second in the championship, still in the FA Cup. Since he's cut his hair, Ipswich Town now fourth in the Championship, out of the FA Cup, one of the biggest upsets ever. Stu, you're the right man to ask this question to. It's all Wes's fault, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. Excellent. It is. There could be no other conclusion. AJ, I think you may be somehow involved in this because obviously you ha- you started a beef with Wes's dad. No doubt Wes found out about it and was distressed. And maybe that's mm-hmm. why he decided to cut his hair, fresh start, all that. Yeah. So in many ways, it, as much as Wes is clearly responsible, you may also have a hand, a part to play. In the downfall of Ipswich Town Football yeah. Club. I did say to Stu that this would be the end now. I said on Saturdays, it's two defeats with this new haircut. Unless you can magically grow it out for the next few games, we're all done for now. He's um, never going to get back to his ponytail by the end of the season, is he? No, it's going to be a push. Are we are we saying that me trying to fight his dad on Twitter or his dad trying to fight me on Twitter is going to be part of the reasoning it caused like some sort of midlife crisis for him to cut his hair? I just think he probably, I mean, obviously his dad probably spoken to us about it. And then Wes has, Wes has <laughs> Have you seen this player pressing. rating? And then he's, Wes has he's found it distressing. Him. And like anyone, yeah. when they're distressed, my, they shave their head. My player Fresh ratings start. have done for him. He's just thought, no, this this kid who's, who's writing numbers lower than six is is, is absolutely ruined me it's here. Head's gone. It's, it's, it's gone. just, it's gone, yes. And yeah. he decided that was part of the re... Yeah, fair enough. Then I, I take my portion of the blame but it doesn't mean that i'm going to give anyone any ever higher than the six ever let's see if we can get anyone else to cut their hair before the end of the season i don't know what that says about me if uh every time you feel in a state of distress you shave your head that's uh, <laughs> speaks of my constant state of mind i think I've, I've actually got i've got the capacity to grow luscious locks i just constantly in a state of distress permanently distressed right in friends i think we've got to the crux of the matter thanks for listening today we'll see you next time not really, obviously. Uh, friends, Ipswich Town lost to Preston at the weekend. Uh, they went 3-0 down in, in a fairly uh, uh, difficult, distressing, 
poor first half. And and like the game against uh, Sunderland a few weeks ago, where we called the, the pod a game of two halves, this feels like very much a game of two halves again, doesn't it? But I don't want to call it the same thing. So let's do negatives and positives. So um, shall we start, first of all, as we normally do, by listening to Kieran McKenna on that first half? And then we can listen. We can then uh, we can then break it down. The reason I'm slightly um, discombobulated here, friends, is because Ross took so long to upload the videos that I have no idea what's in any of them. Um, so this is going to be potluck, friends. I'm hoping this is going to be Kieran McKenna talking about the first half. Let's find out, shall we? Be excited. Yeah, it was it was a difficult half. Um, it was a difficult place to come anyway. But when you concede two goals, two very unfortunate goals in the first whatever it was, eight or nine minutes. First goals a shot from probably thirty yards takes a big deflection. Um, goes in the corner. Second goal is two yards offside. It's, it's so clear it can't not be given by the linesman. I think George has made an aggressive decision to step up, but the right decision when you know the strike was two yards offside, the linesman can't miss it. So you two 0 down eight, you know after whatever it was, maybe nine minutes. It's just the worst situation that it that it could be because Preston can then you know defend. They can defend their their ball, their their box with a lot of bodies. Um, of course, we we lacked a little bit in the in the final third, and um, our play in the final third wasn't the level of what we wanted to be. Of course, we lacked the the profile and the presence in the final third as well. But um, you know that was exaggerated by the by the scoreline, and and that completely dictated the the tone and the feel of the game. And Preston are able to you know feel like they're doing well in the game because they have the goals. Um, so a difficult a difficult first half at half time. Honestly, my feeling was that we were right still in the game. I, I didn't think on the balance of play that certain things were, were too far off, but we needed to improve in the final third. And of course, we needed to not have anything else go against us. And, um, you know, we certainly did that in the second half. Produced a really good performance that, you know, I think we would have deserved to get something from the game. From the game. OK, so obviously they did, as is their want now under McKenna, they did show their resilience again. They showed their fight and they came up just short. We'll get on to that in due course. But let's start with the... The negative, shall we, Stu? First half, there's been a lot of chat around why Ipswich Town lost this game. A lot of it centred around Kieran, um, Kieran McKenna, Kiefer Moore not starting the game. We'll get onto that as well. But ultimately, as you wrote in your, Stu says, your verdict, they can't keep doing this to themselves. They can't keep going into a hole early doors, which is becoming a bit of a habit now. And they're not always going to manage to come back. And, and here they didn't. Well, they're a team that finished strongly. We know that. There's a body of evidence now, and that's because they've worked so hard in pre-season and beyond to get themselves ultra-fit. It's because they've got a strength in depth, players to, to come off the bench and make a difference. So just make sure you're in a game come those latter stages and you've got a really good chance. And, and now it's these two goals inside the opening eight minutes take, I think it's the best part of, a third of the goals which have conceded this season have come inside the opening quarter of an hour. Um, so that is definitely something to be looked at. Obviously, these two goals come with with major slices of, of misfortune. First one's a, a big, big deflection. Was, wasn't the crispest of shots from Will Keane, was it? Um, no. Just clips the inside of uh, George Edmondson's hill. So... Misfortune there, and then the second one is is offside. Um, yes, the linesman's in line. I don't quite subscribe to the kind of how on earth has he missed that as a terrible decision. I think those ones where the defender is stepping up at pace, 
while the forward's going in the opposite direction at equal pace, mm. it's a split second. And when you freeze frame it, it looks obvious, but in real time, not not so much. So, yes, misfortune with both of those. But I think Ipswich, it's a phrase Kieran McKenna uses a lot, is we, we have to look at the bits of the goals that we can own. And I think there were elements in both of those goals, which kind of sums up to Ipswich's half in general, where just things weren't quite executed sharply enough. Um, I think Harry Clark plays a little pass inside for the first one that wasn't quite on the money. Is there a foul on Sam Morsi? Probably, but you could argue he's maybe could be a bit stronger. Can Massimo Luongo be a bit stronger and quicker in the subsequent tackle? Um, the second one, again, it's a Chaplin pass inside, for, uh, sorry, a Burns pass inside further up the, the field that is maybe slightly undercooked. Chaplin's touch could be a little bit sharper. So you, it's all little things that add up to goals, um, not just the end bit. And um, yeah, I, misfortune with both the goals, which put them on the back foot, but they have got to own elements of both of those goals as well. Yeah, AJ saying is that you are what you repeatedly do. And if that's if that's the case, not only a, a town, an excellent football team, they've got heart, they've got resilience, they've got fight, but they also are a side that repeatedly, well, I say repeatedly, have a tendency to put themselves in holes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have the list that I saw online here. So the three cup games, Reading second minute, Wolves fourth minute, and then Fulham ninth minute. Outside of that, Leeds 10 in the first game, Blackburn nine, Plymouth seven, uh, Rotherham four, Swansea seven, West Brom five, Leeds in the second game eighth, and then Preston fifth and eighth minutes. So that's a strong enough sample size to say that there is a problem that needs solving. And if you can consistently overcome those problems, then it doesn't become that much of an issue. And it's why we kind of always highlighted it, but in a sense, maybe glossed over it a little bit in the first half because they were just so good. At, if you conceded first with those, um, you know, within the first kind of 15 minutes, if you concede a couple of goals, you'd always back them to come back. Yeah. Um, and the times that I didn't, they always came back still because I've been guilty of doing that before. And so he said, no, it's 2 0, it's kind of done now. And they've made me look like an idiot on Twitter. And fair enough. But now it's getting to the point where it's becoming harder. And you can tell as well since the start of the year, at the end of the day, the goals have dried up. And in this last little run that the goals have dried up, they can't as easily go and, and kind of do what they were doing before, where they're scoring three, four goals. Even at home, you look at pretty much ever since the, the Norwich game where they got the two. And since then, it has been harder for them. You look at what happened with the Leeds game, what happened at QPR, what happened at Stoke. The list goes on up until this point. So if you can't consistently be doing that to counteract the fact that you're conceding these early goals, then something needs to change. And if it's not something that's easily changed in terms of changing the output in the final third, which I'm sure will be the preference, and at the end of the day, can keep a more come and change that, for example, in the coming weeks, perhaps then the first thing has to be get those early mistakes out make sure that, that that is the first thing that you just don't have there anymore and become a more solid unit if you can't have the same attacking output because that's going to be the most important thing to getting results again. Hmm. Clearly, obviously, McKenna and his staff will be looking at it, Stu, and it's far too kind of binary, isn't it, to say, oh, you just got to sort that out. Is there like a common theme when town find themselves behind? Is it, I think you referred this time that they came out of the traps maybe a little bit too passive. They weren't strong enough in 50-50s or maybe um, a bit sloppy. Uh, is there a, is there something you can put your finger on and go, That's are they just slow starters, for example? Is that 
Is it is it that simple? No, it wasn't that long ago. We were we were hailing them as being fast starters True. at teams that yeah. certainly at Portman Road that really mm. set the tone and burst out the blocks. And there's been games where they've scored early goals and and got on top. So the old cliche of these things kind of even themselves out over over the course of the season, but maybe it was just a, a concentration issue with this one. Maybe it was just just a bit of misfortune. I don't I don't know. But um I watched the first half back yesterday, actually, mm. um, and it wasn't as bad as I remembered at the time. I think Kieran McKenna said in that clip there that goals changed the feel of games and the tone of games, and then that's kind of how it was. I think once they went 2-0 down, the way you watch it is kind of clouded by the fact that, oh, it's been a dreadful start, and psychologically then that, that has an impact on both sides. Preston, who I think were kind of prepared to play almost as the away team from the off, certainly then, you know, doubled down on that because they mm. had something to protect and they, they could then, you know, they they let Ipswich have it um, at the back in a bit of a mid-block and then, you know, could protect what they'd got. And um, they'd clearly done their homework, Preston. They set a few traps for Ipswich. They, a, they knew the kind of the cutback to Chaplin, um, as was seen by the kind of the Leaf Davis tried the the classic cutback free kick to Chaplin, and they they read that like a book. There were other areas where they knew what um, Haki was going to try and do, and we'll, we'll get onto that in a minute in terms of a few issues. So they they'd worked, they knew what they they were going to do against Ipswich, and uh, so it was always going to be a really difficult game. We talked about the fact that Preston had, had beaten Leeds at home; they'd taken a, a they drew against Southampton at home. They're an awkward team to play at Deepdale. And uh, for them to have a 2-0 lead so early on just made it doubly, doubly diff- difficult. Mm. Right then, AJ. Let's continue with this negative train before we get to the positives. At 2-0, cliche alert, the next goal is crucial. And the next goal went to Preston. And the manner in which it went to Preston is the sort of thing, again, we said before, you live by the sword, you die by the sword. Clearly, if town are going to play this sort of football, this is going to happen. Every now and then, we've seen it against Watford clearly, where they considered a goal. We saw it against Sunderland, they got away with it, didn't they? Against Sunderland, um, oh sheesh, missed. Uh, but in this case, they didn't They didn't get away with it. No, they didn't. And it was just a case of no one really wanted the ball. Vaz tried to get it out. I think Morsey was really in a position to take it on, didn't really want it. And it just ends up where Morsey almost has a chance to kind of save his blushes, save Town's blushes, and it just doesn't really fall for them. And he ends up kind of bundled on the floor as the ball goes in. Um, this is going to be, <clears throat> pardon me, the um, the big issue when it comes to high-pressing teams as well. And we've not seen too many of them in the championship. The first team that I thought really took it to Town big time was Birmingham back in November with how aggressive they were. Not maybe as much as in terms of playing out from the back, but just in terms of their overall play. But when teams do pounce on town playing out from the back they have to be totally on it and and they usually are they're usually good at working their way out of tight spaces but it's always such a risk and we saw it at Leicester for example as well they really made it hard for town in terms of the way that they were closing down the spaces it's also partially about making sure that you have different ways of doing it because town often do kind of get boxed in at times and they have set formulas of saying well he'll move forward, that creates the pass out, and it just goes one, two, three. But if mm. you're doing that on a weekly basis, then teams like Leicester, who are going to 
you know look into this so much we'll watch it and go well they're going to do that these are the patterns that they use we'll close them down and we'll create those opportunities by pressing them when they're playing out from the back so that's again something that will probably need to be addressed in terms of is there a different way to do that you don't want to totally knock things down and start over it's not a case of saying boot it out long get it up the pitch um but is there a different way of being able to counteract teams pressing really hard when uh playing out from the back because you can't have that many situations like what happened at Watford like what happened at the weekend um especially in situations where you're already uh behind so and especially situations where you're already two goals behind on this kind of run um that will also definitely be something that needs to be addressed yeah the issue I've got with that that third goal is, you know, I'm not suddenly saying I want it's it's been worked out and they've got to completely stop it and change it because if we're going to drool over goals that have been started by Hagkey going back to the whole game, then you kind of have to accept the rough with the smooth with this. Mm. But sometimes you've got to kind of be intelligent enough to recognise the game state. At 2-0 down, I was kind of preparing a half-time assessment to say, Bang in this still Ipswich had a couple of things go against them, but you know you felt like if they got the next goal with the the options they had on the bench, I really fancied them, and and it was proving the case the way they fit the second half un, unfolded. But three nil down made it, I thought, beyond reach, and and so proved to be the case. And there'd been some warning signs um, regarding Hagkey playing that little pass into Sam Morsey. There'd been one situation where they they. They played their way out, just about got out of a tight spot, but got kind of funneled into a dead end. And Harry Clark ended up sort of putting it out for a throw in by his own corner flag. There was another situation where I think Plagkey played that that trademark short pass into Sam Morsey's feet and uh, he just about got away with it. And Sam turned and had a little word with Vaz to say I was too tightly marked there. Um, so they, they knew that Preston were playing with a front two of Keane and Reese. They knew Frockyar was playing as sort of the 10 just in behind. And those three, as I say, kind of, I think they knew what was they knew what was coming. Frockyar read that situation. He kind of, it was almost like an interception, wasn't it? He read that Sam Morsi was going to try and play that first time round the corner and just, just um, picked his pocket. So maybe they had to be intelligent enough to know that there's a time and a place. And yes, mm. this is our principles. Yes, we stick to it. But we're 2-0 down, get into the break, and then we'll, we'll figure out some solutions in the second half. I thought that was arguably a little bit naive that they sort of kept trying trying to do that. Uh, but on another day, it might have come off. They might have gone through the pitch. It might have gone 2-1. And we're all sat here on Monday going, wow, what bravery. You know, in that game state, in that scenario, they stuck to their principles and it came off. So... Yeah, as you say, live by the sword, die by the sword. But I just felt that maybe they should have read the warning signs and because um, that, that goal was ultimately the one that did the damage in this game. Yeah, and it almost stung them again, didn't it? They almost conceded a fourth with uh, with Vaz scrambling back to knock the ball away after he'd, he'd completely miscontrolled yeah. the ball. Yeah, we're talking about the referee. I know there's a lot of chat about the, the officials and the two goals. We've, we've talked about the second goal being offside and Sam Morsi getting a couple of high kicks around the face and, and things like that. But that was... That was a pass back, wasn't it? You know, the ball had gone back to him, got himself in a right muddle and, and used his hands and, mm. and that didn't go against him. So, I, as you know, I find sort of talking about refs and pinning it on refs quite quite tedious, really. I think that that would be oversimplifying it. Um, I actually thought I quite like refs like him that, that let a lot of stuff go. And again, as players, you have to figure that out in the game. Right, this is a ref who 
who doesn't give a lot so we can get stuck in just as much okay right i've got a clip here which is called mass on town style which i'm hoping is massimo luongo talking about playing out from the back it might not be friends in which case it probably won't fit here but let's find out is that hard balance to find do you have a way that you want to play it's incredibly attractive it's usually incredibly successful but sometimes you have teams like preston for example who are in your face up and at it and aggressive yeah we've had, we've had a few times you know um west brom was a big one uh, this game leeds obviously um yeah it's tough you, you see the leicester game where we they we kept trying we kept trying to play and ultimately we got the goal from it and then we almost got the winner from it but do you not do it you change it up and, and it, we play a foreign way that you, no, you you don't do that so we, we just got to stick with it and i think we can uh, get on the training pitch and work on the ways that like today when it doesn't go right how we can we can counteract that or balance that out and maybe our positioning off the ball could be a little bit better and, and we'll, we'll analyze it and, and take it into the next game that's all we can do all we can do that worked quite nice in the end, friends. It was actually on the topic. Um, so, yeah, AJ, put a bow on this for us then. I mean, for me, like Stewie says, it's got to be nuanced, doesn't it? You can be wedded to a way of playing, uh, and that can be our identity. But equally, you've also got to know when not to play like that. Um, you mm. can't constantly just do the same thing. Yeah, because <clears throat> at the end of the day, that there's two sides to it. A, because you become predictable. And B, just because different teams require different styles. And we've seen that a lot this season. You think back to the games where Tal maybe struggled a little bit more with teams who were, as I tried to say in the bit there, a bit more full-blooded in your face. And the ones that came to mind when you think about like, Huddersfield away, Birmingham away, maybe think potentially Rotherham, teams like that. Um, teams are going to have different threats and different ways of, of counteracting it. And we'll have some games, for example, as we've seen, where you can have your normal play out from the back, your carve through teams, you'll have your your goal like Wes Burns had against Coventry, but others where they maybe just need to have that different kind of outlet. And it's not about changing like, the in the whole kind of setup. It's not about changing the mentality because we know that that's what Kieran McKenna lives and dies by, and it's what got towned up into the automatic promotion places as it is. So you don't need to go and knock everything down and start again. But it is a case of saying well, if this team does this, how do we go and change that? And that's maybe one of the things I've noticed about town is if a team comes up with a good way of stopping town, that in-game switch isn't necessarily as natural as you might have uh, or as you might want, rather. So that that's going to be the area to kind of work on in the next few weeks because teams are going to look at the, the sides that have taken points off town in the last few weeks. What have they done that we can do? Um, and if town keep kind of constantly playing the way they want, and they don't always do that, you know, there, there are other ways to score goals and they have shown that, but if they keep kind of sticking with that, then you're going to find that, that teams have potentially, I don't want to use the term figured them out, but have a way of playing against quite a, a unique style of play. So it is going to be absolutely a case of trying to switch that up and, and Preston were the latest in the last kind of, few weeks who'd, who'd managed to create a really good game plan to work that and it came with a bit of fortune but you could potentially argue that town were quite fortunate to be three nil down at that point because you look at what was happening in stoppage time first off stoppage time i think there were probably two good chances they had to make it four, um and, and that really would have been game over yeah and the pitch was a consideration as well you know it wasn't the best of of pitches either we're getting into that stage of the season where pitches are starting to cut up and it doesn't necessarily suit Ipswich's 
brand of football. So you, you have to adapt to the situation. You look back at other games that have proved difficult, Birmingham away, Huddersfield away, teams that kind of get in your face and that are that awkward sort of man-for-man press and, and stuff like that. So um, the good news is Ipswich have got another way of, of playing now and we saw it in, in the second half. So they... Um, Yes, Mark's celebrating the segue. I thought I'd, I'd set you up there like a Leaf Davis floated ball to the back post, Mark. I'll let you I'll let you finish that one off. Beautiful work, Stu. I've just realised, actually, of course, Wes Burns hasn't scored since cutting his hair either. The evidence really is mounting. Um, before we get to the second half, is there anything else you want to get off your chest negatives-wise before we start to talk? We start to bring it up, start to talk positives. And there's a lot, don't get me wrong, there's a lot to be positive about given the second half display. Anything else you want to get off your chest, boys, before we get on to that, though? No, well, I, I thought there's one player in particular who frustrated me a bit in that first okay. half that, that Alex can attest to, having sat beside me in, in the press box. And that was that was Jeremy Sarmiento, who's been such an exciting player to watch off the bench for Ipswich. But it's a little bit different coming on and being that kind of off-the-cuff live wire substitute when the opposition's tired and um, you can kind of go and do do your bits and pieces of skill and and get the crowd going a um, little bit different from the start when it's got to be a bit more structured, a bit more organised. And he wasn't the only one, but he kind of epitomised Ipswich being just not quite sharp enough. There was a few times where he'd try a little first-time flick around the corner and I was getting a little bit sort of frustrated with him given, that again, the game state. You're 2-0 down, play your way back into the game. And, um yeah, he was he was drifting all over the place, trying to kind of get the ball and make things happen. I think the you know his heart was in the right place and trying to want to do something, but I don't think that was necessarily helping the team. And um, there's been a lot of talk about sort of well, Caden Jackson starting is what what created the issue with this. I mean, poor Caden. I think looking back at it, had eight touches in that first half, and I think only about three of them were in the final third of the pitch. He had one touch from memory in the box that was was a you know, couldn't get it under control, but I don't know if he could do a lot else around that game because it was it was the players in behind that weren't making the ball stick, that weren't just getting the, the basics right. Wes Burns as well, we talked, we joked about his losing his hair. This, you know, he didn't have the best game as well. There was a one right at the end. You know, Alex mentioned that Preston then could have got a fourth, um, and a lot of those came from counter attacks, and that was for Ipswich shooting themselves in the foot, not just in terms of playing out from the back, but giving the ball away in the final third quite sloppily. Wes Burns just passed inside to nobody and they broke on them. And um, Liam Miller, that was that was a sort of a tactical kink of that first half where he sort of stayed high and left. And Preston had played a back three, which was never going to give sort of Caden Jackson much of a chance on, on his own. They played that front three or two and one in behind that we talked about, but could Ipswich, could Ipswich get some joy down the flanks? Because they're over, overloaded there. You've got 2v1 down both sides, effectively. And, and could Harry Clark get Liam Miller going the other way? And, and the answer was no. Harry Clark sort of ended up... He, he does play quite narrow. We've talked about this quite a lot, haven't we? With sort of goals coming from left, left wingers that have got bit, bit time and space to cut inside before Clark can get out to them. And so that, that was an issue in that first half as well. But... Um, yeah, a, diff- a difficult first half. I, you know, it just felt like the, all the little basic things, just whether it was first touch, passing, 
everything was just off it from an Ipswich Town point of view. And, and maybe that was just because of the, the nature of those first two goals. But um, I would say it's up there in terms of sort of first, poor first half under Kieran McKenna's time in charge. OK, so 3-0 at half-time. Worries me, gnashing of teeth. Foxtrot, Foxtrot, Sierra. But like a DJ now on New Year's Eve, boys. Let's start bringing it up, shall we? And that started with bringing on someone at half-time. Big Keith, AJ. Do you want to do you want to talk about Keith? Because he's going to be mm. he's going to be bloody good fun, isn't he? On this evidence, I think so. There was a lot to like about him, and you could see it from the start. And I think that part of it was the fact that we see it every half time. Kieran McKenna sits them down. Here's what went wrong. Here's how you attack them. And you could see in the first probably two three minutes that it was going to be a, a totally different attacking performance from Town at least. Um, I think they threatened in the final third within about 10 seconds of the restart. They got it forward straight away, and you could see that there was a, a new lease of life about them. Um, the thing that I liked about Kiefer more than most, and he's not someone that I've seen a great deal of, aside from kind of watching a few clips before him coming here and then the, the old kind of Premier League game, and mm. when Bournemouth went up, you know, I was kind of thinking, is it going to be a cross it onto the big man and he will score? And we'll get on to that. But he does a lot more than that. And that was maybe my concern was, you know, you look at George Hurst, adds a lot more than being a tall man who plays up front. He's quite athletic. He's a good runner. He can drop back. You look at maybe the Middlesbrough goal where he dropped back and it then allowed Amari Hutchinson to go in and score. And I was thinking, is it just going to be a case of Kiefer Moore stays high, 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 sorry, battles the centre-backs and, and tries to be that physical presence. But he was dropping deep. He was linking up play. There were some nice passes. He was just in the midst of everything, and that probably comes with having a bit of a bit of a high, a bit of confidence coming in. You've just had your big move. The fans bloody love you. They've you know, they've held you as the hero of the January transfer window, and that will be a part. But I think it shows that he is more than maybe I, I don't want to say feared he could be, but you know, th there was a, an aspect that he could have just been that big, tall target man striker. And he has a lot more to offer, I think. And we were seeing that early doors. Um and obviously, you know, he goes and contributes with the, the goals we've all got on to, but the way that he just sparked town into life and also gave them that presence up top that they needed at the end of the day, and that's not Caden Jackson's fault at all. They just needed someone to go out there, be big and tall, and someone that they can say, well, he's there, and we know he's there, and we know we can get the ball up to him, and he'll either be able to play it back and create the space, or he'll be able to be a presence in the box that can hold off defenders to then create space or to get that header off or to get that shot off. And he was doing a little bit of everything. That was really, really impressive. Stu, you unmuted yourself, so I always think you're going to talk, but you're not, are you? Excellent. I okay. can if you'd like me to. <laughs> well, I mean, obviously, we, you can talk about Kiefer Moore, but the, clearly after the game, there was, if I can borrow a term from, from Boris Johnson, referring to Keir Starmer, a lot of captain hindsights out there saying that the obvious reason that Town lost the game is because Kiefer Moore should have started, which, again, is a very binary, monochrome simplistic argument isn't it um and you spoke to we spoke to uh, Kieran McKenna after the game and asked him just that question so let's uh, let's see what Kieran says about it and then we can talk a little bit more about Kiefer Moore and his goals yeah no he showed straight away you know showed what we've been missing to be fair probably since George has been out in terms of a, a physical profile in the top line that creates space for for others and um also gives us a target in the box to play into or to cross to and uh, his impact was was there for all to see really he was excellent um and it gives us uh, something to really build on next week. 
I don't think it would have been the right thing to do. He hadn't even trained with the group. Um, and he's here for the next, you know, 17 games to have an impact, not just for the first half today. Um, so, you know, we weren't uh, overly tempted by that. Were you surprised, too, that he didn't start? We had this chat on, on Thursday, didn't we, as part of the um, deadline day pod. And I think most people probably expected Kieran, Jack- uh, Kieran Jackson, Caden Jackson to start. Um, and now clearly there's a conversation after this, given what he did in the game, that had he start, been on at the start, town would have fared better. Um, have you got any thoughts on that? I wasn't surprised. I was kind of 50-50 in terms of whether he would start. We had this conversation, didn't we, on mm. uh, about 11 o'clock on deadline day, straight away, you know, just hours after Kiefer Moore signed. Yeah. Will, will, he, will he put him in for Preston? And we sort of ummed and ahed and thought, well... I thought it could go either way because it it quite clearly was a Kiefer Moore type of game for all the reasons that we've discussed about Preston. Um, Kieran McKenna was asked that question on uh, Friday before the game. Is he ready? And he said, we'll see how many, minute, many minutes uh, we give him because he's only just arrived. I think he had one light training session with the team Friday morning. And, and we've discussed about how Ipswich's style of play takes a little while to get new signings up to speed with to understand the patterns of play and how they work. Um, but on the other hand, although he's not played tons of games this season, Kiefer Moore, he, you know, he played in the FA Cup uh, in January and scored a goal fairly recently. And naturally, I think he, McKenna referred to him as being a fit, robust man. Um, so I was leaning towards them maybe being tempted just to chuck him in because what's what's the worst that can happen? It didn't feel like a Caden Jackson type of game and it and it and it ultimately wasn't a Caden Jackson type of game. But hindsight's a wonderful thing. Would Kiefer Moore have had that sort of impact from the start? Had he started, maybe he would, maybe he wouldn't. Um, as you say, it's a, it's a bit of hindsight there. Um, the good thing is that that he did have that impact that he did because. Um, my word, I can't remember a, a better debut for Ipswich Town in, in quite some time. Um, within seconds, as Alex says, of, of them starting, I think they took a took the goal kick. Edmondson banged it up to him. He won a flick on. Chaplin almost got on the end of it. Seconds later, he, he dropped deep, um, got clattered from behind to win a free kick. A few minutes after that, he glanced ahead a wide inside the box. So... He's slightly different to George Hurst, but he help, he's going to help kind of replace some of the qualities that have been missing. I don't think he's going to have the same pace and mobility to run in behind. I don't think we're going to see him streaking away to score one-on-one goals as George Hurst has done, but I think he's, he's better in the air. He uses his size better than than um, than Hurst does. I think his link play is probably that little bit more advanced. It was George Hurst was certainly getting better. He was adding that to his game, but I think Kiefer Moore's just that bit further down the track with him being able to sort of drop in and hold the ball up and make it stick and and bring others into play. So uh, a really, really exciting debut, second debut for Kiefer Moore. Yeah, it bodes very well indeed, doesn't it? Um, Ryan Lowe was certainly very impressed. There's some great quotes from him after the game referring to when Town brought a Premier League player on, referencing Kiefer Moore. It made things very difficult uh, and said that he walked off the pitch next to him and referred to him as a as a man mountain, um, which I thought was interesting. Um, and clearly he's going to be starting now. You'd imagine going forward the majority of games, AJ, which given what he's just done in a half, that's very much reasons to be positive, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> I think as well is a case of saying, should 
should he have started? And I, I said this in the player ratings. Yes, in hindsight, you know, of course, in hindsight, he, he should have started. And when I did the boot room with Ross, it was a case of saying, I, I think he will, I think he should. But even then, does him starting change the game in other aspects that Town were lacking? Look, he, he gets the goals, he has the attacking output, but the goals that they conceded are coming from their own kind of problems in this case. It's playing out from the back, it's, it's individual errors, it's being pressed by a, a side that had a lot of aggression in the final third. Does changing your striker change that? Well, it makes you more of a threat. But even then, you look at the the end product that was coming Caden Jackson's way, would that necessarily have worked that well? How much of um, Kiefer Moore being able to have an impact was down to the fact that Kieran McKenna had had time to watch the first half and talk to the players and, and show them on the screens, as we hear so much about now, this is how you can go and, and make an impact. And if he had that from the start... Would that have happened, as Stu said? So there is that side of it. Obviously, he did, but he also would have had the benefit of coming into a game where defenders were slightly more tired, where Town had more of a, a view of how the game was going and, and where to be a threat. So that's obviously going to be the thing we're going into West Brom in the next few games. If he's going to come in from the start, how are they going to deal with Keeper Moore's threat? Now, the thought is, hopefully, he can keep this kind of form up because it was a hell of a debut and he showed so much uh, and that is the big positive as you said we're going into a run of games as we'll touch on that that has probably uh, looks a little bit easier after West Brom and it's also going to be sides that might take a more physical approach that might look at town and say we need to be more up and in your face and be more aggressive you try and do that to keep them all yeah good luck and that's maybe the side that that Caden Jackson kind of has the, the struggles with if you come up against a strong physical fast centre-back how how is he going to deal with that? Because he's not a natural forward, and he's not someone that that has you know a, a lot of I don't want to say a lot about him, but a lot of um, strength and ability to kind of shrug off his man and get into the box and and be that clinical finisher. Whereas we're looking at someone like Kiefer Moore who can. So that's that's the big positive to take away from it. You're now going to come into these games and say right, here's our big striker, our big Premier League striker, as Ryan Lowe said. What are you going to do about it? Um, it's definitely going to pose more questions to these teams now in the coming weeks. Love it. Stu, is Leif Davis going to finish with about 35 assists now? Because <laughs> looking at that that first goal that he scored, just dinks it up there. Kiefer Moore, smash! Goal. I mean, if Connor Chaplin can score headed goals in this team, Kiefer Moore is going to feast like a king at a banquet. That might be my favourite goal of the season, yeah. you know. And I know we've seen some absolute stunners from Jack Taylor and Wes Burns and outside of the boot finishes, all of that. Oh, I love a headed goal. And, you know, for someone who grew up sort of idolising Duncan Ferguson, as I've said before, it was Andy Hinchcliffe, left footer, sending in corners and crosses for the big man just to rise highest above everyone else. Um yeah, uh, I mean, he gets up between... There's some fabulous still images from oh, Warren Page, yeah. our photographer, where he's got, you know, he seems to be like half a body length above both centre-halves who are kind of flailing. The goalkeeper's coming as well. Proper meat of the forehead downward, have some of that bang, back of the net. It was. Uh, he then kind of stands over the goalkeeper who's just kind of in a heap on the floor. Um and then sort of chest out in front of those three and a half thousand away fans as well. So all of those elements, I absolutely love that. And I think 
you know, as you say, Leif Davis, he's on 11 assists for the season now. Um, could easily have been 12 because uh, it was his header back into the danger zone that led to the second. Uh, needed a few stabs at that before it, it went in. But the fact that Leif Davis had the wherewithal to know that that's the type of cross that Kiefer Moore wanted. You know, it's not the sort of delivery that he's been putting in all season. Mm. He's shown that he can he can play the little cutbacks, the cute passes inside to Connor Chaplin. He can whip free kicks and corners in as well. But sometimes when you've got six foot five Kiefer Moore, just just stand it up there, just float it to the back post. And um, he must have been absolutely licking his lips as that ball looped to, to the far post. Yeah, Kiefer Moore was interviewed after the game on Town TV and he said his eyes light up every time Leif Davis has got the ball. That's going to be incredible fun to watch going forward. And you're right, Stuart, there's a term in, in basketball when someone gets dunked on, they refer to it as getting put on a poster because that's the, the pictures you see of a player jumping over another player, kind of smashing them into the ground while they dunk on them. And that picture you just mentioned, and I'm, I'm kicking myself, I haven't got it to, to have for the, the viewers, is a poster. He's literally just dom airily dominating to... Um, defenders, literally, you know, soaring over them, keeping them on the ground, just dominating them. Fantastic stuff. Let's hear from, from Massimo Luongo about this comeback and then we can put a bow on the game. So if you also have to talk about another debut maker as well. There have been a few games so far this season where maybe you haven't quite hit the right levels in the first half, but the improvement in the second half has been really big. We saw that again today, but I guess it's also a case of not giving yourself a mountain to climb at, at the same time. Yeah, um, well, yeah. We've all seen the stats of how well we are at getting back into games, and it, I think we're all sick of that. We just need to, you know, sort of keep out a game where we're we're in it, and we don't give us a mountain to climb, as you said. But um, it's it's a tough one because we we want to play our way, we want to do what we want to do, and we want the manager has a way of playing. And I think there's parts where, as I said, the margins are small, and if we get it right, you know, we we open teams up and we look really good. But when you get it wrong, we, I think there's a split decision or a margin where there's a decision to be made, tackle, get back or whatever, block the middle. And if we don't get it right, then I think we got, we, we got, we got paid the price today. So um, it's, a, it's a fine margin, but it's, you know, we can only do what we do on the pitch. And then when a game day, you see, can't call it on the game day. It's, it's, no one knows what's going to happen, but as long as we keep doing the same thing, the right things and uh, we're honest and, you know, the effort's there, then I think we'll, we'll We'll be there or thereabouts at the end of the game. Classic Ipswich Town. Focus on the process. The end result will come. Um, right then, AJ, your time to shine. You love Ali Alhamadi. He made his debut here. He wasn't the guy who took the headlines because of Kiefer Moore scoring two goals. But he looked he looked pretty good, pretty bright, didn't he? And probably should have scored himself, to be fair. Yeah, <clears throat> lively. Bit of a nuisance. Um He's another one that maybe you don't appreciate his size as much until you see him play and you see him standing next to the defenders. There's quite a lot about him. Um, and he came on and he was exactly what we kind of hoped and expected from him. And that's impressive given the fact that he was out in Qatar earlier this week. I mean, we talk about Keith Moore's short turnaround and, and he deserves a lot of credit for coming in and having that impact. But we've also got in this situation... Uh, a striker who's just come back from the Asian Cup at a bit of a back injury that he's had, and he stepped up two leagues to make a cameo and, and have a really big impact there as well. And I like the fact that he can work well with Kiefer Moore. Um, and I think that it, it was something that I kind of hinted maybe could work quite well when, when he signed, saying, can those two find the balance together? Obviously, it, it's nice that you have Al Hamadi that is versatile. He can play on either flank, he can play up front. 
he could probably play him as a 10. He's not always the sharpest at, at leading the line. It's not something that he's been used to too much and he can sometimes get marked out of games. But if you've got someone big, tall, strong and physical like Kiefer Moore to work off, which he had in this game, then you can probably get the best out of him. So that's what I liked a lot here. Again, looked like he benefited from running against some tired legs as well because he is such a lively player and then gets in the box, has a great chance to score, probably should. I think he gets two saves out of the goalkeeper, the one that comes back to him, and he has a clear chance to to shoot. And obviously, you know my love for Ali Alhamadi as a, a proper lower league, jumping up the championship, hot prospect kind of player. I was so desperate for him to do it. And he smacked it straight at the goalkeeper. And it's a hard one because it comes to him, you've got a split second. Yeah, you kind of think you have the whole goal to aim at. But when you've got a massive goalkeeper stood straight in front of you, your, your first thoughts just hit it. So I feel a little bit bad for him in that sense. But it shows he's getting into the right areas as well. And that's a totally different game when you're stepping up from League 2 to the Championship. It, it's not going to be that natural to show. So to show that he's he's getting into those areas is really promising. And then obviously plays a part in that ball coming to keep him more for the second. Right, and Stu, do you want to do you want to cap off the match with any other thoughts from the game? And also, if you don't mind, segueing into the next part of the show, which is when we're going to be looking at the the upcoming games, because clearly the talk after this game, Town down to fourth, the first time they've been outside of the top two for what is months in terms of um, plus after a, a full round of games. Obviously, Leeds and Southampton now both above them. Um, is it one win in eight? So form wise, not the best. Um, what do you reckon? Notes from the second half. Yeah, I think Ali Al Hamadi was probably the closest anyone came to beating Kiefer Moore in the air. Yeah, um, <laughs> Kiefer Moore also attacked that ball, and uh, Ali did well to get his head on it ahead yeah. of, of Kiefer. So that shows his physical qualities. So yeah, those two could be a real, you know, uh, handful for any defence if they if they do end up on the pitch at the same time. Um, Fine piece of acting that I want to highlight from the Ipswich Town players when Leif Davis hit the post for that free kick. Yeah. First of all, Connor Chaplin sort of, uh, you know, they all, they all lined up at the back post to, pretending that they were going to, you know, attack a, a cross. Connor Chaplin started on it. Then he had a little little fake conversation with Leif Davis as if to say, no, no, I won't shoot. You cross to the far post. Um, and then uh, obviously Leif then tries to whip it uh, on towards that big gap at the the near post and and hit the inside of it. So I enjoyed that. Um, any other notes from the second half? Nathan Broadhead came on. We've been talking about him maybe sort of dropping in, in form a little bit, maybe someone who's kind of um, run into some dead ends at times and, and taken on shots when they're not there. But his role in, in the second goal was, was excellent. Um, lovely little bit, a classic bit of sort of, dropping of the shoulder, body swerving to open up a bit of space. And then instead of just trying to thump it at goal, he had the wherewithal to, to lay the ball off to Leif Davis. So that was good to see as well. Um, yeah, it's a shame it was just too little too late. That third goal just made it just uh, just just slightly out of reach. But, um, you know, there was a moment there where we thought they couldn't, could they? They, got, they were going nick to a, nick a draw. And uh, Kieran McKenna said that he felt they were, they were value for it, which, which arguably they were. But um, wasn't to be. It's another game that slipped by without without um, not only a win, but a draw as well. Um, and yeah, and it leaves us now looking at kind of the bigger picture down down to fourth. Leeds have obviously played an extra game. Um, Southampton just keep keep on going. So um, 
yeah, let's see how how we kind of all, all hold our nerve now going into these these final seventeen games. This was always coming, wasn't it? Like we said, we spoke in a lot of times earlier in the season when things were going really well. They are going to have a stumble. They're not going to continue this. Every everything point, you know, even just looking at the the the, the value of the squads and the, you know the, the the actual squad depth, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, everything pointed towards town eventually trending back towards the mean. So this this is not a surprise. It's clearly expectations rose massively, but in this four horse race, if you like, for the top two, they are very much the outsider. Um, but that doesn't mean, friends, they can't win. The beauty of sport is underdogs do win, and when it happens, it's beautiful. Let's just look now at the the next nine games before the next international break because this is interesting. First of all, we have to say. As you say, Stu, it is kind of still in town's hands because they've got a game in hand on Leeds and they've still got to play Southampton on Easter Monday, April the 1st. Get that in your diary. That's a big game. Um, this is the next nine games in, friends, before the next international break. You see, they, they start at West, uh, against West Brom at home this weekend. And the positions there, if you're watching this, are in brackets after the team. So West Brom in fifth. But then after that, they don't really play a side in, in the top half. You've got Millwall 16th, Swansea 17th, Rotherham bottom, Birmingham 19th, Plymouth 15th, Bristol City 14th, Cardiff 13th, and then Sheffield Wednesday in the last game before the international break, 23rd. Clearly, they're not doing very well. Mm. Um, so how are you feeling? When you look at that, AJ, Town last season had a, a stumble around this sort of time. Um, and clearly, it's, you know, it's, it's totally different. Last season, they were a big fish in a small pond, that kind of thing. Uh, but then they put a, a tremendous run together. But when you look at these fixtures and you look at what happened in that second half, there is still a lot of reasons to be positive, aren't there? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it was well documented to see what they did last season. And this little run, you'd say, in theory, does give them that kind of platform to, to go out there and, and put a run of form together if they can make the right changes in the coming weeks. I also think it's important not to kind of brush under the carpet. You, know, you look at some of these teams, Birmingham, for example, probably had enough to win that game against town. Sheffield Wednesday made it, well, not difficult, but they limited town at times. And in the end, it was only a one-goal win when they were one of the worst teams going and their performance levels have increased. Plymouth gave town probably their best game at Portman Road this season, up there for sure, uh, in terms of how competitive that was. <clears throat> There's also been a lot of changes as well. Millwall, for example, when they came to um, Portman Road, they were just right at the start of going from a totally direct, you know, quite defensive setup, and they're now trying to follow the same part of town. How far have they come along in that time? So there's a lot of changes within that. There's a lot of teams that kind of, yeah, the changes are, are interesting as well. You look at Swansea, for example, they've done that. They've gone from Mike Duff style, we all know what that is, to taking on a manager from League Two who doesn't really consider defending to be a thing. Um, so it's a, it's not necessarily Birmingham looking, as well. Tony yeah, but, Murray going in at Birmingham, yeah. Yeah, and you've got to think about but uh, there's a lot of changes in there and maybe the league positions don't speak volumes about it. I think Sheffield Wednesday, for example, they've lost more games than anyone else since their manager has come in, but their performance levels, probably up until the weekend, have improved so, so much and they look such a better team. So it's it's maybe not as easy in that sense when you look at the numbers and, you know, this team's 19th, this team's 23rd, this team's 15th. But at the end of the day, it's still easier than going and playing, you know, your West Broms as they have at the start, going and playing Leeds again. God forbid that happens. Um, teams like that. So it, it is an opportunity. 
but it's one that you can't necessarily look at and take for granted because of the league positions, because these are teams that are, have changed so much, do pose their threats and have caused town a lot of problems in the first half of the season. And whether it was a wonder goal sometimes or a bit of luck here, um, or maybe the opposition having an off day, these things can always play a part. Um, town have, you know, deserved to be obviously where they are based on the performances against these teams. Mm. But you have to look at what's changed as well in that time. Yeah, I, I mean, like, it, I like the look. Sorry, okay, mate. I was going to say, I mean, you, clearly it's not as simple as looking at that and going, Yeah, town are going to win eight of the next nine games. Looking at this, because you can flip it, can't you? And say those teams that are down there are going to be scrapping for every point. But as you said, AJ, and hopefully this is what you're going to talk about, Stu, is that if you need to start going on a run and building momentum again, this is what you want to see in your next nine games rather than you know a murderous row of opponents all in that kind of top top six, top eight mix. I really like this this run of games coming up. It's actually after West Brom, it's nine games in a row against teams in the bottom half after the international break. It's Blackburn away, so you can tag, mm-hmm. tag that one on there. It's an opportunity, and there are obvious comparisons to make with, with last season where Ipswich um, had a bit of a dry spell either side of Christmas. They, the, the, wins, the wins dried up a little bit. They weren't losing loads of games, but they just dropped off the pace. A little bit and then obviously they caught fire from sort of February time onwards. Now doing that in the championship is a different kettle of fish. But I look at these these games and the, we've talked about the awkward games being the, the, the physical in your face style of, of game like Preston, etc. Millwall trying to play a bit of football now away from home. The onus will be on them as the home side to, to try and give that a go. Swansea the same. I heard a few phone-ins to Five Live on the way home. It doesn't sound like everything's all great around Swansea at the moment. Rotherham, that was an awkward game first time around, but at Portman Road, Ipswich will be heavy favourites for that one. Birmingham, I think Tony Mowbray, we we know his brand of football. I think Ipswich will prefer it going toe-to-toe with with that type of of team. Plymouth away is a tough game. Um, we, We know that over the course of a little way because of the travel, because of... You know, they know Ipswich inside out. Um, and, he, and you can keep going through them for a little while, really. So, yeah, the hope is that this this has been a really difficult spell when you look at the, the, the number of games that have come in a short period of time. They've played Leicester twice within this period, um, going all the way back to kind of the, the emotion um, that went into the Norwich game and, and beyond. If this is the peak of Ipswich's and we said this last year, if this is the peak of kind of Ipswich's poor patch in the season, then they're laughing really. But um, turning it round will be easier said than done. But there's every reason to believe that they will pick up again um, with Keith and Moore in the building now. Um, and it's all about when you time your runs. Southampton have been on a remarkable run, um, but have they peaked too early? Uh, they've got, I looked at it, they've still got to play West Brom away, Leicester away. Ipswich away, obviously, and Leeds away. So it can turn quite quickly. Both Southampton and Leeds are still in the FA Cup. They both play tomorrow night. Both could well get through. Southampton have got Watford at home. Leeds have got Plymouth away. So that's, you know, potentially more games in their schedule, more games that have to be rearranged. So um, it feels like it's trending a certain way at the moment, but things things can quickly turn. I like it, Stu. He's bringing it up. He's bringing it up, in the words of Peep Show. Right then, um, last Friday, press conference day, was eventful. There were lots of things happening. And something else we have to mention in terms of a news review on this show is, of course, 
the fact that um, we've had another departure via mutual consent FC. I'm going to stick with you on this, Stu, obviously, because you've seen him play more than more than AJ. Um, oh, maybe not. Lee Evans has departed the building. Um, I will remember him always, Stu, for I think the, the best knee slide we've ever seen at Portman Road when he scored a hat-trick against Doncaster, wasn't it? Absolutely perfect in conception and delivery. Um, but Lee Evans is gone. What do you make of it, mate? Yeah, always sad when someone who's, who's contributed, uh, played a sort of key contribution to a team that's got promoted to part. Similar feelings with, with Kyle Edwards when he went recently. And I'm sure there'll be similar feelings with people like Janoy Donassian when, when that happens in the summer. Um, Lee Evans, going back to the start of last season, was Ipswich's best player for, mm. for a period of time. He was central to everything in terms of those you know, Hollywood passes, 50, 60 yards, switches of play that kind of got Ipswich uh, finding the spare man. Um, the Doncaster hat-trick, as you mentioned, is, is a night that will live long in the memory. Um, a really good character and personality as well that I think has, has played a, a big role off the pitch as, as well as on it. Um, were it not for the injuries, we could be talking about him in the same breath as as Wes Burns and Connor Chaplin and Sam Moore see these players that have just got better and better under Kieran McKenna and and become central figures. So, um, unfortunately, I think it was four knee injury setbacks in the space of a couple of years. He kept trying to kind of rehab and get strength in it through physio and, and get back, but kept breaking down. Eventually, he's, he's undergone surgery to get to the root of the problem. They're hopeful that that has sorted it now and within the next month or so, he'll be... He'll be in a position to be back playing, but unfortunately in that time, Ipswich have kind of moved on and signed other players and, and are on a different trajectory. So um, he'll be someone that leaves with everybody's best wishes and, and whoever signs him, you imagine there'll, there'll be a, a fair few League One clubs having a look at him are going to get themselves a, a really good player. Hmm. Right then, you spoke to Massimo Luongo about Lee Evans, AJ. At least I'm hoping you did because this says Mass on Lee Evans, this clip. Um, so let's see, what, let's see what he says. Now, Evo's brilliant uh, really 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 close to Evo um, you know he's had horrible luck with his with his injuries but um, every time he's had one his, his recovery has been strong and he's, he's kept his head down he's worked so hard to get back and unfortunately it happened again and, and he's done the same thing he's doing the same thing and, and um, you know I think we all we all wish him all the best the boys love him and, um, he's with us for a little bit longer so it's not like a complete goodbye but he's um, he knows what he's got to do and, and we all back him when he's fit, he's he's top player. You know what he's like. He, um, he was a big before I came. He was a big um, big player for the team, and, and unfortunately he got injured. And yeah, I think no one forgets what the boys that aren't here anymore and, and what he's done for for the club. And, and, and basically, yeah, he was a big big part of, of the promotion team. He'll always have Lee Evans captaining town in the uh, the preseason cup. AJ, what was that cup called that they won? I can't remember now. The Innsbruck Classic, which Massive. Um, I always, I always think back to that whenever we have a really cold away day. It's yeah. always the first thing is, oh, I really wish I was back in Innsbruck, where it was like thirty plus, and go have dinner with Ross, and then go cover some big Bundesliga teams, and then suddenly you're in Elland Road, and it's minus two, and Town are four nil down. Yeah, slight differences. Just um, but on Lee Evans, I mean, clearly mm -hmm. we said a very capable player, been very unlucky with injury, but also um, in terms of people behind the curtain, he's such a bloody nice bloke. 
such a decent guy. And he's the sort of guy that, again, we've spoken about how likeable this team is. And you just really hope that he gets over this injury, catches on somewhere with the team, and then gets to kind of have a, a really successful career going forward. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, he was one of the first town players that I spoke to. I was still trying to kind of get to grips with who's who, what people like to talk to, things like that. I think I spoke to him a couple of times in pre-season. The first one was actually in Innsbruck. We sat down mm. uh, and spoke for a few minutes uh, after the, they won the tournament. And he's one of those that immediately kind of can be quite open and honest and and talk about you know what, his, what were his expectations in terms of the role of the team. He'll give you good stuff. He'll always be very friendly. He, yeah, you know, I assume it's probably not easy for players when a new reporter comes in and you've got to try and sit there and talk to them and get to grips with what they're like as well. But he always came across as, as someone who was very, very approachable. And I'm sure that he had that same kind of role in the squad. And that will be a big miss as well, because all the players always talk about the vibe in the dressing room. It was one of the, the things that got mentioned when the new signings came in. We spoke to Chapman about it last week saying they're going to have to adapt to the team, but they're not going to have to adapt to the dressing room because anyone who comes into this is going to fit in. Absolutely yeah. anyone. Um, and I think that players like him play a big part in that, absolutely. And, and the on-the-pitch stuff was obviously there for all to see. The brief bits that I saw of him mainly in pre-season, the latter stage, sorry, the, the kind of early stages of the season, he was really good a, at being the kind of that more defensive figure in midfield. And B, also his passing range was excellent. So, you know, you're, you've got someone there who's talented and if, if League One is his next move, there's going to be clubs there will absolutely benefit from having him he's definitely a top player at that level for sure um just about maintaining the injuries and that's that's the hard thing to do especially when it is knee injuries that you've got to overcome but players can do that and he's done it before it's just about making sure that it stays away there's there's definitely someone who's going to benefit from having him yeah knee injuries tell me about it from one elite athlete to another league best of luck um and we'll always have ironically that knee slide against Doncaster to look back on. Right then, we're moving towards the end of the show now, friends. Um, I just want to mention something that's loosely town-based, big sports news over the weekend. Um, our friend Fabio Wardley uh, announced a huge fight on Saturday night. Um, he's going to be headlining. Just just take a, a moment to, to appreciate how big this is. He's going to be headlining the O2 Arena, defending his British and Commonwealth heavyweight titles against Olympian Fraser Clark in a show that's being called Bad Blood, which dates back to the beef between them last year when Clark apparently ducked Wardley. His team didn't want him to fight Wardley, even though he'd been ordered to. Um, and that was all set up with a with a, a face-off and a classic bit of back and forth on on Sky on Saturday. The date, friends, we talk about Easter being a big a big time for football, and clearly there's that, that game against uh, Southampton on Easter Monday. Fabio fights the day before that on Easter Sunday, which is unusual, clearly, with it being a Sunday. Um, so that will be a very, very big weekend indeed for all involved with sport in Suffolk, Ipswich Town, clearly. And it'll be great to see Fabio Wardley, a lad from Chantry, walking out, because he'll walk last as the champion, to a packed-out O2 arena, wearing the ITFC colours and the badge and, and all that kind of stuff on his shorts. Um, it's going to be fantastic. And I'm hoping to be there. Uh, Stu, I don't know if you've got any thoughts on this. Um, just just as a, as a story, Fabio Wardley is one of those stories which is you don't really get uh, outside of the sports sphere, you know, he's, he's a guy that that turned pro. He had four white collar fights, no amateur background whatsoever, and all he's done is basically knock everyone out on route to winning British and Commonwealth heavyweight titles. And now 
he's in this massive, massive fight. How late did Fabio sort of get get into boxing? Then you say it's, late, it's, oh, really late. Yeah, as in yeah, like he only the... started boxing. I think it was in his early twenties um, as a way of losing weight and uh, had these white collar fights. If you don't know anything about boxing, white collar fights are basically um, anyone from off the street walks. They do a bit of training, do eight weeks of training, and then they chuck them into a ring and say have a fight. And usually they're appalling. You know, com- complete novices, no technique whatsoever, don't really know what they're doing, but as long as they're well matched, you know, it's, it's fair enough. But Fab clearly has this natural talent for the sport. He's for a big man. He's incredibly quick and he just seems to have this natural heavy handed touch of death power, which if he, if he punches you on, on the chops, you're going down. <laughs> and that's a wonderful thing for a boxer to have, especially in the heavyweight division. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's, it's just a wonderful story. And I appreciate I'm now putting you on the spot, talk about boxing stew, which is not your, uh, not necessarily your background, but as someone who crafts stories and writes narratives, you must be able to appreciate that. Yeah, of course. Yeah, it's an incredible story and uh, right on our doorstep and it's got the Ipswich Town link, which is great as well. And um, like you say, it's just freakish power, hasn't he? He's, uh, and if, you know, I'm sure there are other boxers that have had that, but you know, he's, he's got to have the, the skill set to go with it as well, which mm. clearly he has. And there seems to have been this external narrative around him that, you know, well, he'll hit a certain level at some point and, and get found out. But um, a bit like town. Yeah, not yeah. not happening thus far, is it? So um, we'll obviously be right behind him, I'm sure. You know, he'll have, he'll have all the Ipswich fans behind him and fingers crossed we'll, we'll get that Portman Road fight at some stage. Absolutely. That's still very much on the cards. Obviously, things have to line up in terms of dates and, and availability. It would have to be a summer fight, ideally at Portman Road. Um and it would have to be the right fight as well in terms of selling tickets. But if he wins this one, who knows where he could go next? We'll be there. It could be a knockout Easter, couldn't it, boys, for town? Fab wins on, on Easter Sunday. Town beats Southampton on Easter Monday. Uh, and the other thing I want to mention to you before we uh, stop talking about football completely or indeed sport, um, I mentioned their stories. You've got a bit of news, friend. You're crafting a little, little story, a little narrative yourself do you want to tell people about that because i think this is very very exciting and i know there's going to be a lot of interest um you kind of let the cat out of the bag last night on twitter but do you want to tell the uh, tell the listeners the audience about it yeah something i've been working on um for a little while now it's jason dazelle's autobiography um ipswich town legends obviously yesterday was the 40th anniversary of him scoring uh on his debut, age 16, only just turned 16, 16 and 57 days to become the youngest goal scorer in top flight history um, to seal a 3-1 win against Coventry at Portman Road. That is a record that still stands today. And my word has Jason lived a life. And yeah, I've enjoyed working on this. I don't quite know how I've managed to find time to do it over the last year and amongst everything that's been going on with Ipswich Town. But it's... um, it's getting towards the latter stages now and uh yeah it should be available to buy later on this year i'll I'll share a bit more information on that when i've got it but just wanted to give it a little tease now and and hopefully it's going to be something that uh that people support and are interested in reading it's going to be great i'm expecting a signed copy Stu. i'm not paying for it either so uh you you can give that to me as a gift if you like for christmas Um, i'm very excited about like like you mate i'm not entirely sure where you've got the time from though if you found a way of coming up with an extra day in the week somehow because this job itself is pretty demanding. So kudos to you, friend. Right then, by way of finishing something completely different, an email from a listener, which uh, is good because it's about traitors. 
and us three are all big traitors fans. Fortunately, Rossi's not here because obviously he wouldn't really know what we're talking about. So this is from Ed, and he says, who would be a traitor and who would be a faithful amongst the four of you? Um, and he's actually suggested who he thinks would fit each role the best. And I wonder, boys, if you can guess. So he's given us, he's us two faithfuls and two traitors. Um, do you want to have a have a guess? Stu, do you want to see what Stu, you you guess the traitors and we'll see if if Ross if uh, Rossi if um AJ can guess the faithfuls. So who's this from? Who's the listener? This is from, this is from Ed. Ed from so who, who has gone and tapped on the shoulder? Um I think Ed has chosen I think he's chosen Ross. As a traitor. Yeah. Okay. Um because we won't suspect him, and I think he's chosen. Alex, Alex and Ross traitors. I don't know Interesting. why. Interesting. AJ, That's have you got I'm any doing. thoughts on on who might be the faithfuls amongst us four? Uh yeah, I'm going to disagree here. I think that Stu definitely is going to end up being a faithful, and I think it's just I, I have a feeling he could do. I, I don't want to. There, there is a someone in the last series I won't be going to who is very much kind of. Agatha Christie, should we say? And I have a yeah. feeling that <laughs> Doctor Watson would be able to just kind of he'd go back to because obviously have to get driven back to a hotel after like every show. He'd go back to the hotel. He'd have like ninety pages of notes in between him writing four different yeah. books <laughs> and all these other things. And he'd just come in and he would just pick people apart. And it would be awful because he'd then have everyone else saying, "I actually don't think that's true because I like him and I don't think he could be a." A traitor. So I think it would be Stu as one. Yeah. And I just I think that based on numbers in terms of who I think the, the traitors would be, which would be you and Ross, I think I would also get put into the, the the faithful bracket purely because as well. I think I'd be great as a I'd, I'd love to be a traitor, but I just would be so bad at it. I'd be terrible. Well, you're both half right. You both got one. So this is this is Ed's thinking. My view, he says, is Mark traitor. Like Paul in the last series, everyone's mate, but happy to take out fellow traitors as required. Ultimately, I don't know where you got this from, mate. Ultimately, overconfident and chatty doesn't sound like me. Thus, exposing himself. So yeah, uh, you're, you're Paul. Bang on, yeah. and I'll and I'll take the jazz comparison. Actually, I think that would be my gameplay because I think I I think I could start to work a few things out. But you, to be a good faithful, you need to be the grey man. You need to you need to blend into the background not get too much heat on yourself it's a, very, a really fine balancing act and jazz ultimately left his trump cards a little bit late in the day but yeah i'd say that's a decent comparison i don't well, know who, who would ross be uh, who would ross and alex be in terms of the i'm coming on recent to that. right ed says stewie faithful never rocks the boat too honest and reliable to be a traitor then when recruited to be one would self-implode because it's out of his comfort zone. He says, like the Welsh fellow in the last series. You've got any feelings on that, Stewie? Yeah, I can't. I can't disagree with that. I think. He, <laughs> I think. I think. I feel seen. <laughs> right then, AJ Ed says traitor. He says a man brackets Ooh. boy with a right. plan, oh, smart yeah, enough yeah. to mug off all the other players. He is Harry Mark II. Beware, as Claudia will be looking to take him away next summer. For filming, I assume he means, and not just on a, on a holiday. And then finally, he says, Roth, faithful, a man without a plan and no idea. He will believe that everyone is faithful and therefore make the final as he's not a threat to the traitors. He, he'd, have a, he'd have a 50-50 chance of winning 
due to his mind constantly changing and he could maybe fluke the right decision at the end. <laughs> yeah. A moment where people, Ross, he would sail through the early stages because oh, he's yeah. just so, he's the lovable puppy in the camp that, as you yeah. say, no, no one really sort of uh, suspects. There'd come a stage where people would try and put some heat on him saying that his voting patterns were very inconsistent. Haphazard. <laughs> just <laughs> plucking names out of thin air for no reason at yeah. all, but ultimately he'd get all the way through. I'd fear his end game would be a bit like Molly, that he might end up becoming a bit too bit too trusted, a uh, bit yeah. too trusting, I would say, and, and have his heart broken. I'd get him hook, table. line and sinker until the end. I would just, yeah, get him right till the end and then break his heart. Ross I'd love to see Alex with a little ears. Yeah. I was thinking little, that. Uh, can I get the little cross? Just there, George Michael yeah. style. Yeah, exactly. Like and then I also have a second life where I come across like I, I want to treat my family who've been struggling so much and then have all my Instagram where I'm jetting off on like, <laughs> private jets onto fancy holidays. Yeah, Ross at the banishment table, his reasoning for, for thinking who's a traitor would be the classic, because why not? Which is how he, uh, <laughs> which is how he justifies everything, isn't it? Because why not? He's going to score, he's going to start. You're a traitor. Why not? Um, and he's also... On that note, by the way, uh, he's also, and we've done this quite a lot, but just for fun, we'll do it again. He says, uh, KOA in between us, he reels them off. Jay, Mark, correct, me all over. Uh, Neil, Ross, correct, the right decision. He says, Simon is Stu, Son's hair. Son's a little flicky hair, although you did have the Simon, didn't you, as a youth? Yeah, very and he much says, so. uh, Will, Alex, which again, I feel... We, we slot quite nicely into, into those kind of roles. We've done it before, and everyone always says pretty much the same thing. Uh, I don't really know what that says about people's view of me, but um, I think it's probably fair. I'll say that. A bit fond of myself. Anyway, friends, we're coming to the end of the show. Um, anything else to mention, boys, before we take our leave? I enjoyed that. And if uh, if you do have any other thoughts to send on email, get them to me, mark.heath at newsquest.co.uk. Anything else to mention, friends, before we, uh, we head off and crack on with our Mondays? No other business. Watch out or the traitors may murder you at night. Sinister end from, from AJ. <laughs> Didn't think you had that in your locker. Um, I'll be keeping an eye on you now, friend. Uh, right then, friends, we come to the end of our Monday podcast. Yes, Ipswich Town lost again at the weekend, but um, hopefully you've enjoyed the chat we've had and, and we've given you reasons to be positive going forward because there definitely are quite a lot of them. Just to remind support our sponsors, use the code KOA at manscaped.com for 20% off. Uh, and free delivery on all the excellent stuff they've got on their site now as you look towards your summer holidays getting beach body ready uh, and also friends if you could leave us a five star review on itunes um it's much appreciated it just helps lift us visibility wise in the charts and also aj follow us across social media youtube instagram twitter facebook 20 years old today and the new kid on the block aj oh yes something called tiktok tell us all about it Yes, we forgot this one last week. I forgot it, and then Mark did his outro, and I was sat there dying inside because we forgot to plug it. Go follow us at Kings of Anglia. I've been putting up some pod clips, and we've got some other bits coming as well. I'm going to get Ross to pronounce things that he can't pronounce somewhere down the line. I'm going to be filming stadiums and doing all sorts of random rubbish that you love because I know you love it. Things like food, press food. Yes. How, how you love press. Everyone loves press food. Things like that. Team sheet ratings. All that mundane stuff that you will sit on TikTok for hours and say, why am I watching this? And then you would have scrolled through about 50 of them and you'll love it. So go go follow it. We'll have all sorts on there. Uh, we're building up quite nicely on there now. It's going to get better. 
I think when we get to a certain number, we should I should have a word with Fabio and see if we can get him to punch Ross in the stomach for a TikTok video. <laughs> yeah, that's the one. <laughs> anyway, friends, yeah, go and join us on TikTok. I have no idea what TikTok is, and I'm never going to be on TikTok, but I'm told it's quite popular. So it's good that we're on there, and AJ's going to curate our account. Friends, thanks for listening to the show. Have a great start to the week, and we'll be back later on in the week to talk to you all again. We'll speak to you next time.